Biden tops Trump by two points in hypothetical 2024 matchup, trails DeSantis. A new Quinnipiac uh, uh, University poll finds mm-hmm. that President Biden is uh, uh, in close hypothetical races with two leading candidates, Republican Party's 2024 nomination. Biden leads former President Trump in a hypothetical 2024 rematch with 48% support to Trump's 46 in a hypothetical election between Biden and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The other front runner for GOP, Biden trails 46 to DeSantis's 48. The poll found Trump leading DeSantis in a head-to-head, but behind with the uh, former president earning 52% to DeSantis's 42. Biden, Trump, and DeSantis all had similar favorable ratings amongst registered voters, with 37% having a favorable view of Biden, 36% of Trump, and 36% of DeSantis. So in this case, they're saying Trump beats DeSantis, but Trump doesn't beat Biden. And if DeSantis wins, DeSantis could beat Biden. How aligned are you with what this poll has shown? No, I, I think that that poll is very accurate, what is out there. And it's interesting that, you know, Ron DeSantis has those numbers he hadn't even declared. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you will see an improvement in his numbers if he declared. Look, Ron DeSantis won the state of Florida in, in his first election by less than 1%. Over Andrew Gillum, right? Over Andrew Gillum, mayor of Tallahassee. What was the thing that took Ron DeSantis over the top and brought single black mothers to vote for him? Educational freedom, school choice. That That is the forefront issue right now. If there Donald was one, Trump would have said it was him, though. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Leadership is not about first person singular. And if I could, if he was sitting right there, I'd tell him that. you got to stop using first person singular because that's not how you lead people. That's how you get the attention on you. But now that's been signed in the law here in, in, in Florida. And when he came back for his reelection, I mean, he won Palm Beach County. He won Miami-Dade County. He won by t- almost 20 percentage Never point. happens uh, where, where a Republican carries Miami-Dade County. Never. One and a half million. By one and a half million votes. Now, Dems will say uh, Charlie Chris is hands down the worst candidate in the history of mankind who so lost is Joe Biden. every single— So is, so is Joe Biden. And, and and again, you know, Charlie Chris was out there touting the policies, woke stuff, and all this other th- stuff that uh, of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. The American people were rejected if they had something clear to decide. It's just the same as Jimmy Carter coming out and Ronald Reagan. Remember that Ronald Reagan commercial this morning in America? Who could not vote for that? Right. There was only one state in the United States of America that never voted for Ronald Reagan. That was Minnesota. Minnesota. Did you see? Did you see? Yeah, that's right. Forty nine out of fifty. But, was what, and, and by the way, Carter is the uh, uh, Biden is the closest thing to Carter. If not, well, he's not yet worse data wise, but he's worse in other ways. At least Carter was liked, and you know he Carter was a was good a na- man, a yeah. Navy submariner. Yeah. Uh, academy graduate, no one could sit and say Carter hated America. No. Just the same as Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton pivoted after his midterm debacle. People will say Bill Clinton loved women more than America. That's an argument. Well, that, 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 that is that, an argument. I, I, kinda, I, don't wanna, I, de- I defer to yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they were all but, American women. But yeah, they were American women. But Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton is the guy who stood... <laughs> That was good. He Tom, that he, may be one of your best. Tom. He didn't like them firm American firm women. women. Don't. <laughs> Tom is. But you were saying Clinton loved America. I agree. But Clinton Bill Clinton is the guy who stood up in a State of Union address and said the era of big government is over. Do you think that a, a Democrat could stand up in a State of Union address no. and say that? No. And so that, that's why, you know, the blue dog Democrats, conservative Democrats, whatever you want to call it, they don't exist anymore. But the thing is that we have to run on these issues. We have to get out there and find out what are the, the things, as you just, you know, talked about earlier, what brings us together? How can we galvanize ourselves? 
And, and I will tell you, the, the issue of education galvanizes this country. It, it really does, because I think that parents are concerned about the future for their children. Look at, look at these inner cities. I mean, Chicago, Baltimore. These kids cannot function math and English at grade level. I, I Some, fully agree with you. I think, I think the, the, the education in kids is, is not a Republican or Democratic argument. It's all across the board. Yeah. Just like Roe v. Wade, if you notice the stats on the midterms, it was like, hey, you know, this is something that if you pushed it the way you did, you know, they said McConnell did this to kind of hurt Trump's uh, look mm-hmm. to say he lost on. Uh, you read all those stories. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. But there's certain things that the American people are saying, leave this alone. We're kind of at this point here. I think education is being one of them. But I want but I want to continue. Did you see DeSantis on uh, uh, Pierce Morgan? Yeah. You watched the whole interview? Well, not the whole interview. Zero I, to ten. What do you give it? I give him uh, 7.5. Okay. Do you think he... To win at the next level, uh, like, you know, you read the story about Roger Ailes, how Roger Ailes went to Nixon in 1960 and said, do you know why you lost? You lost because you need a guy like me. I'm going to be your what? Your, you need uh, your, count, your media, media yeah. whatever, and you yep. need me to come in here and help Media him. coach. And then he came in and helped him out, and Nixon won, and then he did the same thing with McConnell saying, real deficient, dummy. Yeah. You know, it's like, so McConnell wins. Great and documentary, Does Roger it with Ailes. Sean Hannity and all mm-hmm. these guys. The Divide and Conquer documentary explains the whole story, right? Do you think... Charm and charisma, selling yourself today is important for DeSantis to be able to win it? Or do you think America's going to be okay to say, no, we just want a guy that's going to get the job done. We don't care if a guy wants to go out there and shake hands, biz dev, no, do any no, of that no. stuff. Do you think um, that's necessary or no? Um, Americans are visual. Americans want folks to, to someone that they like. Uh, look, go back in the, 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 the televised debate between Nixon and Kennedy. Uh, if you listen to it, don't look at it. If you listen to it, it was it was Nixon. But the fact that Nixon had looked like he had the five o'clock shadow, you know, Kennedy looked young and in and, and fact, you know, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln probably couldn't make it today. And even back then, uh, they said, Abe, you gotta kinda like grow a beard because your face, it looks too scrawny and everything. All of his pictures, he had the high collar to to reduce the length of his neck. I mean, America's visual. Go back to two thousand and twelve in the election between Mitt Romney and uh and Barack Obama. The exit polls, everyone said who would have been better to handle the economy? Mitt Romney. But who did you like? Barack Obama. So there is an aspect of it. And what I what I tell people, all the candidates that say, Hey, you know, I'd like to get your endorsement. Can you tell me what image and message? Those are the two aspects of a person running for office or, or campaign, whatever, image and message. The other side always wins on image because their message sucks. <laughs> but people are so focused on their image. I mean, Barack Obama, I mean, you looked at him on television and you're just like, wow. But it's the same thing you see every single Sunday in the black church, you know, the very charismatic pastor and everything like that. But if you just read a speech of Barack Obama, you would say, what in this? <laughs> What is he talking about? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with, 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 with Biden in a way. So his image was horrible, so they put him in a basement. And nobody talked about anything. What did they do? They attacked the image of Donald Trump. So, yes, you've got to go and, and look at the, the charismatic aspect of leadership. But I wrote this down because I knew you were going to come to that. Leadership is about what the Army taught me, five C's. The first C is courage. People want to see a courageous person. They want to see a courageous leader. The second C is competence. Because as you know, no one follows a dummy into a firefight. So they want to know they have a competent leader. The the next C is commitment. 
a commitment to a core set of principles and values. I mean, you can say what you want about Ronald Reagan, but you know he was committed to America. He was committed to the Constitution. He was committed to our fundamental principles and values. Then you got to be convicted. That's the fourth C. Because even when the winds blow, the polls say this, whatever, you got to stay true north. Leaders stay true north. They committed to something and they're convicted to it. And then the last thing is character. Doing what is right when no one's watching. That's what I taught soldiers. That's what I taught my daughters. Five C's. Courage, competence, commitment, conviction, and character. And when you understand that and you, you realize, okay, the two phases, image and message, and you bring all that together, you're powerful. You, you're, you're going to win 49 out of 50 states. So what are you saying about DeSantis, to me, has all five of those. I think he's got courage. I think he's got competence. I think he's got commitment. I think he's, he is conviction. He's got conviction. I think he's a man of character. I think he's got those things. But this is a difference. I want to show you this. This mm-hmm. is Dr. Albert Mehrabian's uh, 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 738-55 rule. And I don't know if it's his or somebody else's, but I've seen this and I've read this in yep. books. You've seen it as well. 7% is a spoken word today, elements of communication. 38% is voice and tone. Five, 55% is body language. Right. Does this favor DeSantis? This is what I, and you're going to identify with this. Remember when you first reported into a unit? Yes. I remember when officers reported into me. Clearly. Knock on the door. They come in. You're sizing them up. They're not saying anything. You're looking at their uniform. You're looking at their boots. They're especially looking at their haircut, the comportment, and everything. And then when they stand before you and they open up their mouth, either confirms or denies that 55%. So what are you saying? What I'm saying is that you've got to have that visual appearance first and foremost. Well, he has the appearance, and, though. And, and, and I think that everything falls from that. It's just the same as if I came in here and, you, you know, I'm Lieutenant Colonel retired Allen West, but I'm sitting over here with a beard. I'm 200 pounds overweight. You're going to say, what kind of colonel is that guy? You know? So you, you have to present that aura, that atmosphere. I mean, again, Ronald Reagan, you know, his body language, his, his, his physical presence. He was an actor. He knew how to sell himself. It comes back, what I say, image and message. And you've got to win the image battle really before you get to the message battle, which is what you say. So, so um, again, I want to go back to it. Does he have the complete package to win on the big stage with the camera on him? 24-7, having to show some charm, some charisma, some vulnerability, likability, instead yes. of just what he does. Yes, I, I, I absolutely believe he does. And what's even better, you know what his greatest asset is? Results. His wife, who was in the media. And so she will make sure he knows how to do, you know, bring that all together. That, that's Santa's his wife, you're saying? Yeah. That's that's is great. And some I, people said it wasn't a good look the the way he did media. And I look, I'll, I'll go to well, Mickey Kelly. But, let me, but, let me, but <clears throat> I know I, I saw the. But yeah. he, he's got to learn that. I, I mean, is that is, enough to learn in a year? He ain't got that much time because before he announces it, you know, there's a difference between going against the Chris. There's, a, I think, the last time he had a real battle was Gillum, Gillum. more Gillum. than it was Chris, right? So, you know, does. You remember when uh, uh, Rick Perry came out? I remember Rick Perry. going to be the president. He's going to be president. The three different agencies. Oops. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yep. man, this guy's done. And he was Career on fire done. going to California. Yep. If you're sick and tired of regulation, come to Texas. We'll yep. know how to take care of him. Like, I'm going to Texas. I want to met with him. We're at a Texas Rangers game. Like, this guy's freaking amazing. The charm, the charisma. This guy could be a president one day. Boom. Doesn't happen because of that. So there's a difference between big stage and. Well, I agree. You know, so. This is the part where there are a lot of people that want this guy to do it. There are a lot of people that want this guy to pull it off. There's a lot that want it. But in business and in leadership, there's a difference between wanting a guy because you like him so much mm-hmm. and it actually happening. And it ends up being another guy that maybe you don't like that much. 
Sometimes it's confusing this you game know, of leadership. I, I, well, yes, but I will tell you that if you make a mistake, but people feel it was an honest mistake, and you own it, the, the American people are forgiving. Uh, but if you make a mistake and you're arrogant about it, uh, they're not going to be so forgiving. And that's, that's part of this. I don't think people are looking for that perfect person. Uh, I don't think that that perfect candidate is That's not what I'm saying, though, because, yeah. I think because, I, because I actually think if, if we are looking for more the perfect person, he is more perfect than Trump is perfect. Trump has a hundred times more imperfections than yeah. this guy does. We can name different girls and we can go through the imperfection list, right? So a lot of people could say Trump is more imperfect and he's perfect the other way around. So, but to me, I'm not coming from policy. I'm not coming from, there's a whole different criticism to say this guy's more the establishment than Trump is. And while we're going through a season like this, where you're talking about China, Iran, Russia, Saudi, Juan, you know, Ukraine, Russia, when, you know, what's going on there, Afghanistan, you know, Taliban, everybody's attacking us internally, the swamp. Dude, you, this, there needs to be somebody that's gone through God knows how many different ways of negotiation in the streets of New York, real estate. Oh, some people are saying, if you are saying, Alan, the problem in the world is so bad, you need a scary type of guy where they fear where the other side's going to say, holy shit, this is not the one guy I want to face up. I would much rather take a guy that knows how to follow the guidelines mm -hmm. to move up in his career than another guy that's broken the rules every once in a while where he may be willing to go places that others are not willing to go. This guy doesn't seem like he's scared. And, and what you just did, you, you made the argument for a George Patton. George Patton had all kind of flaws. Eisenhower, I mean, he drove, uh, Patton drove Eisenhower crazy. But Patton understood one thing, George Patton won. And he knew that he needed him. Uh, maybe sometime he had to put him in timeout, like what you saw after the little soldier slapping incident. But he knew he had to bring him off the sidelines and get him back into the fight. So You've read the book Lincoln on Leadership by mm -hmm. Donald D. Phillips. I think it's Donald Phillips. And he chapter 11 where he says, search until you find your grant. And he has this guy named McClellan. You know who McClellan is? Oh, McClellan. Is. So, yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal, right? But and, he was a grant, trainer. Yeah. He was a thinker, but he yep. was a trainer. He wasn't a doer. He and wasn't then, a field general. And then he gets this guy, never reports anything back, never tells him what's going on. He can't find where Grant is. He's hearing about Grant's drinking. He's yeah. doing this. He's doing that. But at the end of the day, he wins. He freaking wins. Becomes one of the worst presidents we've had. He was not necessarily the best president, mm -hmm. two-term president, mm -hmm. but he was a great exchange leg for you know, Lincoln, hey, you do your part, you win the war, you make make us look good, you be the president. It kind of worked out for him. Yeah. But to me, I'm wondering if we have a situation here like that. I may be wrong. Uh, at the end of the day, anything is better than what we have today. Correct. Anything is better than what we have today. Um, you know, Bill Maher the other day called Trump. Uh, he says, I think Trump is the greatest when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Politician of all time. He says, and I don't even think he knows that he's the greatest politician of all time. I don't even think he knows that he knows what he's doing, but he's the greatest politician of all time. He said this on the show last week. So there, there is gamesmanship here, Alan. This is no, a I dark agree. world. So for mm-hmm. me, if you're going to call a guy to be your captain, you have to make sure that captain uh, knows the dirty side. When I ran a small office and I was an agent selling insurance, nobody cared about me. Patrick's a nice guy. Then when I ran a top office insurance in San Fernando Valley, people outside of San Fernando Valley loved me. But people in San Fernando Valley didn't like me. So if I went in the mall and I saw a competitor, you mother of because I'm a direct competitor, but in San Fernando Valley. We all went to the same church. Mm -hmm. We all went to the same gyms, the same L.A. fitness, the same this, the same that. So then all of a sudden, I'm competing in the state. Then it's regional. Then it's national. The moment we became national and then we started writing two, 3,000 policies a month, then I all of a sudden realized, shit. This thing is real. Yeah, A lot of these guys were all sympathetic and understanding why you're so great. And now it's like they're calling other insurance companies for me to lose my contract. Got it. So this is the game. Shit, I got to go read a bunch of war books. Yeah, I got to go read a bunch of 33 strategies, war to war, power books. Mm-hmm. Then I understood the game. So the next level he's going to go into is going to be a thousand times darker than what it was in COVID. And if the American people are going to say he's the guy, great. I think he is a man of character. I think he is fully a man who loves America. I think he is a tough guy. But uh, it'll be interesting how the American pol- American voter, whether they pick him. And by the way, it's still too early to tell anyways. Everybody right now is saying, oh, it's done. Trump's going to win the whole thing. He's going to be the president. I don't think it's going to be that way. Because I think there's more dark strategies that they have up their sleeves that we don't know about. But that is the concern of a lot of people when I talk to them. Well, it's a two-person race on the Republican side. I don't, I don't care what, you know, all these other folks that are jumping in there. They, what, 3% here, 2% there. It's a two-person race. They're all, they're all racing for VP position. That's they won't say that, but without That's a doubt a bit, yeah. they are. And, and you just brought up a great point. It really is about who you surround yourself with. You know, in the military, a general is only as good as the staff. And so if, if you want to give counsel to a guy like a Ron DeSantis, you better pick the right staff to go around you, to get you ready to, to go out there uh, to be on this big stage. And, and I would make the same offer to President Trump. President Trump made some bad choices and selections in the people that he surrounded himself with in his term in office. So learn from that and get the right type of people around you because – I think that it's so important that you have someone. I, I never wanted an XO, an S3, or definitely a, a sergeant major. I don't want a sergeant major that told me everything that I want to hear. I want a sergeant major to pull me off to the side and say, Colonel, <laughs> you're about to screw this up. Let me tell you something. And he would never do it in public. Of course. But the sergeant major is my right-hand man. That's, that's, why, that's why he was the sergeant major. So Trump needs a sergeant major. DeSantis needs a sergeant major. And hopefully they will go out and find that person that's going to tell them, you know, unequivocally, you're screwing this up, but here's how you can fix it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it it sounds like you're more on a DeSantis camp than a Trump camp at this point. Would I be fair in saying that? I'm on a camp that's focused on fixing, correcting policy and solutions. I don't want the camp that's out there going, you know, with the Mickey Mouse stuff. I, I, I don't have time for the Mickey Mouse stuff. 
I see where this country is headed. I see what we are confronting mm-hmm. against. And you're right. There's some dark enemies out there, and we have to ask someone day one. They can start going right at this thing and getting it right and, and just push the media to the side. Don't don't get involved with all of that backbiting stuff right there. you got to be focused on the things that the American people are going to ask you to do, which is to protect their life, their liberty, their property, pursuit of happiness. Let me, let me ask this question, Tom, and then I'm going to go to you first, okay? Megan Kelly said the following. She said, Megan Kelly slams DeSantis for rejecting an interview. He is afraid. Now, Megan Kelly, we know, is not for Trump, and everybody knows that. If there's a person she's not for, so she's not lobbying because she's trying to get closer to Trump. That's got to be out Ever there. since that first debate stage. When yeah, she exactly. Had blood coming from everywhere. Yeah, right? Megyn Kelly revealed a Monday episode that Megyn Kelly showed that Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor and likely 2024 presidential candidate, has been turning down her request to interview him uh, on her Sirius XM show, suggesting that he's afraid of her interview style. Kelly refused to soften questions to presidential candidates and explained that reporters are there for the viewers, not the candidates, and journalists need to be adv- adversarial with interviewees. Kelly concluded by saying it uh, disgusts her watching the press running cover for Biden and hardcore MAGA group running cover for Trump, and that reports reporters should stop falling in love with politicians and grow pair because their business is not to be loved. It's to tell the truth. Respect will get reporters and audience. Love is for pundits who just want to say nice, sweet uh, nothing. So what do you think about what she says here? I think Uh, she's right. Oh, go to Tom. Tom, what are your thoughts on this? I think she's absolutely right, and she makes an important point. And what you were both been talking about in this whole line of leadership here, when you look around the world stage, the greatest compliment our adversaries have given U.S. presidents— is when they say he's crazy. When Reagan was about to be elected, you saw the Arab world, particularly Iraq, saying, that guy's crazy. And that's because they didn't want to articulate their fear in public. They said he's crazy. When you look at, the, you look at the, um, the, the people that surrounded the emperor of Japan, we now see through memoirs and things that come out, when Truman dropped those bombs, now those were dropped on military and civilian targets. And it's horrible. It's a horrible moment in history that it had to happen that way. But they all told the emperor, FDR's dead. Truman's crazy. And that is where, you know, it's it's sort of the, the doctrine of Kaiser Sose, if you ever remember the Untouchables. Mm-hmm. They said, the will to do one more thing that the other guy won't. Mm-hmm. And unusual it, suspects. Yes, yes, that's right, right. You, unusual suspects. And I think that's or there. Unusual I, suspects. <laughs> you know where I went with that, right, Pat? <laughs> Sorry about that. But I think usual what, what Megan Kelly is asking for is like, <laughs> hey, I'm not here for your talking points. I'm trying to identify a leader. That's kind of what I see because I see a certain purity in Megyn Kelly's approach is that if you get through that gauntlet, you come out with a lot of respect. And she's not there, I think, to play a game. I don't disagree with her, though. You know, I don't disagree with her. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't disagree with her. I think there's a part. And by the way, by the way, I don't think it's going to work for him. I don't think it's going to work for him to do the following. Okay, for example, you know the strategy of, because Ron is using Biden's strategy. There's no strategy different than he's, he's not using Trump's strategy. He's using Biden's strategy. Just keep what's, a low profile. What, what's Biden's strategy? I'm telling you, if you watch Pierce Morgan's interview, you can tell a guy is interviewing him who would rather have him than Trump. You can tell in the interview that it's a soft interview. Yeah, he brings some stuff up, but he 
it's very obvious for somebody that's an interviewer, you know how an interview is done, where it's like, if you're here, let's just say you're trying to be as neutral and moderate as possible with anybody you're interviewing. Okay, if we know 5% you're for the guy, we're okay with it. That's fine. I can respect that. But if you do an interview and you go 25% this side, you're not doing an interview. You're hanging out with a friend is what you're doing. Right. That was a 25% interview of what he did. Pierce Morgan did an interview with Andrew Tate. It was sick because he pushed him. And then Andrew had to kind of defend himself. So Pierce is a very, one of the best interviewers in the world. But for me, DeSantis is using Biden's strategy because he's avoiding the hot seat. And Trump is going to come out and say, if you just want to go interview with people that you like, that's that's Biden 2.0, what DeSantis is doing. DeSantis needs to go do some real interviews that's going to be uncomfortable. A part of the thing to me, you know who I put the blame on that? I'm going to go where you went, but you gave credit, but I'm not giving credit. You know where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to who's his press secretary. It ain't no Christina Pushauer, the new guy that he has, you know, whoever it is. Brian something. His press secretary is Casey. It, yeah, but it, see, it, but see, wife. I would I would think that she would, you know, train him and get him to understand that, you know, let me do some mock interviews with you. Uh, let me let me let me throw. You the, don't think they've done it? Well, I don't know. For it, sure they've done it. Well, I would hope so. I mean, I've seen some, you know, you've seen some bright lights when he has had some of these press conferences and leftist media has attacked him. It's I mean, great, though, but that's when he wins. I know, but that's what I'm saying. I, I think that that's the asset that can help him. That It's just like when I became, a, a, you know, selected for a battalion command, I had to go through battalion command charm school, and part of battalion command charm school was media relations. Mm-hmm. And you had to sit in there, you got a scenario, and, and, and an incident had happened, and you had a mock media, yeah. and they came at you, man. And I was like, dang, this is, this is, they don't want it. They, they redirect you. And so you have to be able to be on. And that's why I think she could be that asset for him. But if she's not the sergeant, ma- see, if she's not the sergeant major, if she's just playing, you know, cheerleader. But you know what it is, though? But, Here's what it is. So you're a colonel, so I salute you. I'm a 44-year-old specialist is the most I made it. So yeah, I'm nowhere the in your league. The specialist gave me more headaches <laughs> than anybody else. <laughs> but, but you know what? The, the Lieutenant Colonel Peacocks is who changed my life. Yeah. Till today, I wish I could find this man. Lieutenant Colonel Peacocks is a man that changed my life. He was one of the men that changed my life. I really respected the way he led me, a 20-year-old kid. He was a good man. Changed my life in a big way. But, but here's the thing. So let's just say... You report to me, hypothetically, mm-hmm. and you're 25, I'm 35. You're a fighter, okay? It's very obvious you're a fighter. I'm going to read that very quickly, okay? So, and I know potentially you have what it takes to be a major lieutenant colonel. You got a big upside, right? And you're not even a second lieutenant right now. Maybe you're an E6, E5. You're about to become a second lieutenant. Your father's going to come and put that on you. It's a special moment that you're going to have. You're the E5, E6. I'm going to put you in positions to fight because you are a fighter. Mm-hmm. I think we just watched Creed the other day. We're in the Rocky series with the kids. So I have to go through all of them. I've watched this thing so many times, but I have to go through because I got two sons, 11 and 9, and they want to go through all of them. Once we watch one in Mission Impossible, we're going through 73 of them, right? So however many they got. So, And in Creed, there's a couple parts where it's like, you know, where Rocky takes responsibility for allowing creed to fight drago and he says as a corner man it was my fault and he was kind of afraid of it right i think the corner man here is her and she has to let him go fight more of these fights 
And the longer you go, here's the problem. The longer you delay this announcement mm. and you go, it's going to take three months of 20 hardcore interviews to make you ready for the stage. Yeah. I, I don't mm -hmm. understand this concept. Like, this is the part about, dude, you don't know the Like, as smart as you and I may be, and we can come up with 93% of all the questions people are going to ask you. You don't know the 7%. We need the 7%. Yeah. And the 7% you're going to get is to go to a Megyn Kelly, is to come over here and sit down with us and have a conversation. It's not to go to people that are loving you, they're going to vote for you. That's not how you win. Trump, the reason why Trump got the credit that he got from everybody, ask me any interview, anytime, any place, let's roll. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like that guy. You just have to say, this motherfucker, you know, yep. he's willing to go anywhere. Yep. But at least there's the respect and the fear because he's saying, I don't fear you. He says, go ahead. What do you want to say? Hey, Trump, do you have any, uh, uh, are you a Second Amendment guy? Yes, I am. Do you own any guns? I do. Do you go out shooting? It's none of your business. Yeah, but how do you feel about the Second Amendment? What's your question? Get it out there. Do you even know what you want to ask? So now the interviewers are scared of the guest. Yeah. Versus in a situation like this, you can't ever pose yourself as you're afraid of the interviewer. The interviewer has to walk in and be like, oh, shit, I'm interviewing a heavyweight. Am I going to be ready? Or is this guy going to school me? DeSantis is not giving that energy out. I, I, I don't I don't know if you understand what I'm you know saying. Who I, saw I do. did Carrie Lake. You ever seen Carrie Lake? She's a beast. Yeah. Try to get cornered in the hallway, yeah. Yeah. and she tops and turns and says, yeah. "Excuse me, yeah. your publication well, said this two weeks ago, and you said this." And I don't appreciate the. Well, well, what you're talking Whack. about is that you never win on defense. You only win by seizing the initiative, carpe diem, and going on offense. And, and that's basically what the, the military teaches. There's no battle that's ever been won on defense. I mean, even if you have a successful defense, you got to counterattack. Mm -hmm. If you want to drive the enemy off the battlefield, Carl von Clausewitz said that war is about the imposition of your will on your enemy. Mm -hmm. And and so that's how you have to start looking at this. And and you're, you're bringing up a great point. You know, how do you impose your will out there? How do you make sure that you're imposing your message? How do you come across as that really – figure of strength and might that people can rally behind. And, and that's what America's going to be. How, how did America learn about you? America learned about you the, the, the 13, 14, 15 years ago when you gave that revolution message. I don't know if you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. That went viral. It's all tens of hundreds of millions of views. Everybody's like, who is this guy? Military know who you were. Army know who you were. But the rest of us didn't know who you were. We're like, damn, I like this guy. He's a freaking fighter. This guy sounds like he could be a governor or president one day. That's what we want to see. The guys that are going to be voting and are going to be talking about you. I think we have a fighter here. His name is Ron DeSantis. I think his corner is holding him back. Mm. And I think his corner needs to realize this man knows how to fight. Has he? Have you asked him to come on I your show? I have asked him to come on the show. And I've even asked him to hold a fundraiser at the house. I have no problem holding a fundraiser at the house. Give me the number. We'll go raise it for you. And he's actually done fundraisers in our community. He's got the open invitation. We've had the conversation. Come down. I'll bring 20 influencers that are people that have a lot of views, and they're in the independent side. These would be good guys to get on your side. He's got the full invitation. Christina Pusha was here. I've spoken to his people. We've sent the invite. We've sent the email. All of it. But I feel there's somebody behind closed doors. I've already hinted who I think it is that is holding him back, not in a negative way, and a way of trying to be too perfect with your strategy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's going to backfire because DeSantis is a brawler. This guy's not a pansy. He is a fighter. He's a brawler. But let him 
can show his brawling abilities. That's how America fell in love with him in two and a half years mm -hmm. when there was a fight during COVID. We learn about this guy. I think we need to let him loose a little bit. You know, you, you bring up a so. great point that you cannot sit around. When we would go out to training rotations, National Training Center, Joint Readiness Training Center, the people that would always lose, the commanders that would always lose, were the ones that sat back and tried to come up with a 100% plan. And what they taught you at these places that if you quickly come up with a 70% plan, but you execute it to 100% perfection, meaning that you are the one on the battlefield that can quickly adjust, that you're taking in all of the branches and sequels, then you're going to be successful. So I see what you're saying is that Governor DeSantis, don't sit around and try to be perfect. Don't, don't try to be cute. Come up and be yourself. And, and, and yeah. on top of that, have the plan to be able to go out and be successful. Understand that you're going to have to you know, be able to adjust, improvise, adapt, and overcome. But that's the essence of a true leader. Mm -hmm. Because in combat, you can come up with the greatest plan ever, Tom. But you know who has a vote? The enemy. And as we say, you know, uh, no plan survives first contact. But at least you got to have a base structure of what you want to go in with. And, and look, you know, I, I sat back and watched your interviews before I came in. <laughs> and that's because I got to study. I got to understand where I'm coming into. And, and, you know, I just sat out and, you know, here are my little notes and, and whatever. Because I've got to be able to quickly adjust off of what you're saying. Well, you're I, a fighter, though. I, that's what, yeah. No, you're a fighter, that, and so is I can't DeSantis. Help that. That's just who I am. But I think DeSantis is a fighter. Yep. I, th I think Trump is a fighter. And FYI, for me, this is going to sound weird to a lot of people. I will do a fundraiser for Trump. I will do a fundraiser for DeSantis. I will do a fundraiser for Biden. Confusing, ain't it? And I would bring the same exact 20 people, and I would say, see if you can win these guys over. Because if Biden comes to our house and we raise the money for you, tell us what the number is. They're going to say, dude, this guy doesn't seem presidential. Hey, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, we got you the money. What's the number? Half a million? Here's a half a million. The 20 people are going to go and say, dude, I thought he was impressive. He's not. I liked him, but this guy can't be the president. It's not the case. Or he's going to say, this guy's pretty impressive. This isn't about me picking favorites right now. We need a fighter today because the war is real. The enemy is massive, and they're unifying during the time like this, which I do believe when I was pushing back on the four years, I do believe this is the most important time, at least in my lifetime. It I is. don't think this is a time to be fooling around. I think no. we need to be doing a better job selling the urgency, and I don't see urgency from DeSantis. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. If you really are going to do it, what, what's the, what month are we right now? What is it? Is it uh, going in April? April. Okay. April, you got what? April, you got 15 months? When, is your, when is your legislative session in? Because that's what everyone's saying is he doesn't want to announce until legislative I think that's so. in May, I want to say. Okay. okay. Well, let, well, Pat, can I ask you a question? Yeah. In, in regards to essentially we started this conversation with Megyn Kelly and going into enemy territory versus playing it safe, DeSantis. I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain. I can only think of two politicians in the last five, ten years, who will go into enemy territory, but it hasn't necessarily worked out well with them in the last two election cycles. And the only two politicians that come to mind are Trump and Bernie Sanders, right? Biden's not going to enemy territory. Obama would barely even go on Bill Maher, and that's the guy, guy who would agree with him. So it, we're, we're questioning Ron DeSantis whether he should go into, quote-unquote, enemy territory, and not like he'd be coming on Value Tame and PB Podcast, enemy territory. Full support over here for DeSantis. The question is playing it safe. 
is that Biden played it safe. It's, he not, beat Trump. it's not full support for DeSantis. No, I'm just I, saying it, meaning... For you, you're a DeSantis I'll, I'll go with DeSantis, 100%. But, but to me, you know what I am? I'm yeah. not a DeSantis. I'm not a Trump guy. I'm, not, I'm a guy that is showing strength to face four real enemies today mm-hmm. that is not afraid to back down. And if you're going to play this card now, then that means that's how you're going to lead as a politician when you become a president. You're going to be too overly strategic. Being too overly strategic means you may win, but America doesn't win. Dude, you got to get a black eye. Go get a couple black eyes. I'm sorry. The way you brawl is – this is not a – dude, you're not going into a fight where it's like, okay, throw jabs and boom, boom, great, I won by points. This is not a winning by points situation today. This is a brawl today. This is a Mickey Ward against Gotti fight today. This is a trilogy of these guys that went to freaking Roberto Duran going up against. This is a war. You can't be effing around right now playing too much strategy. I, I don't think this is the season to do it. The American people are sitting there. Every, everybody, left, center, right, sitting there saying, what the hell is going on with China? What the hell is going on with Russia? What the hell is going on with U.S.? I'm afraid. We can't be like... So, yeah, so here's what I would – no, no. That's not, I think America's looking for a guy to come out and say, here's what we got to be doing. Showing toughness. Showing I'm not afraid. Showing – you think – if you're afraid of interviewers, what the f- – what do you think these other guys are you going to face? Those are not interviewers. Those are flatterers that are going to come and play games. You think Putin is an interviewer? You think Xi's an interviewer? What do you think those guys are going to be doing? An interviewer is one one millionth of a strength of a freaking – Enemy, you're going to be facing. She's not an interviewer. He will dismantle America if he wants to. So I think I think we need strength. Whoever's you know, going to be able to present that, salute, it, more power you're, to you. You're, you're, you're so correct. I mean, and I go back to Reagan. A lot of people weren't born, but go back and look at history. You know, Reagan, you know, all of Europe, all of Europe done want those Pershing missiles there. Yep. And he got, what was it, Helmut Kohl? Mm-hmm. Helmut um, Kohl, German chancellor. And he says, listen— I'm putting them in, and I can. We can put them in cooperatively, or I can just put them on my own bases, because we had bases in Germany. We had Spangler Air Force Base in True Germany. We had, and he put them there. And Reagan goes to Iceland to Reykjavik. Why did Gorbachev go to Reykjavik? Because he was scared to death of the Pershing missiles, and he believed Reagan had the will. And when they left Reykjavik, remember the cocky Gorbachev says, what did you want me to say? And an annoyed Reagan turned to him and simply said, you should have said yes. Mm-hmm. And we all know what happened with history. This is not a time for games. This is not a time to win elections through media perfection. You know, there was a whole Robert Redford had a, a pretty cute little movie back in the 70s. The Candidate. The Candidate. Yep. And what does he say after he wins and he played TV perfect? What do we do now? What do we do now? <laughs> you know, exactly. Is America, is that who you want? You want someone who's going to be perfect and give him all the way up Seriously. to the end? And then say, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what you do now. You have to, if you take, and by the way, no one seems to understand. I'll go back to it real quick. We're talking about this. On China, you know why it's so significant on the yuan? You mm. know why? Mm. Because it's not a floating currency on international currency markets. It gives China the control of the value at any given day. And as soon as you put that in there, 
they, you're giving them economic power. And when you go back, they've said for a long time, well, you know, Russia would be more stable economically if they had a currency that was traded and respected on the world market. You know what people used to say? They do. It just has a picture of George Washington on it. Because it was the underground currency. Powerful the underground currency of Russia was a U.S. dollar. So we're going to put somebody there that won't even allow their currency to float with the monetary markets, and they're going to determine the price of a gallon of gas and, and a cubic, was it, cubic feet of LNG, liquid natural gas? Really? That's what you want? You want a perfect guy who's going to now at, win the election and say, now what do we do? Sorry, I'm not on that page. You know, I remember uh, I was stationed over in Italy with the Airborne Unit at the time. Uh, Vicenza? The, was it Vicenza? Vicenza, yeah. yeah I was yeah. in Vicenza. Remember the bombing of the disco in, in Germany uh, that they tied back to a, yes. a, a Libyan uh, terrorist? And, and what did Reagan do? I mean, it was not any debate. What? Bam, they bombed Libya. And we were like, yeah. That's that's cool. Is that Operation Rustic Canyon? Yeah, uh, uh, Alan. It's, it's, it took us five days to shoot a balloon down. Th that's what I'm saying. But that's what <laughs> th you're right. And so, <laughs> and so when you talk about where we it are, finished its job and yeah, was floating, floating over the over Atlantic. The, <laughs> and, and that's what people are looking for. And so you know, I, I just jot down here two quotes from Alexander the Great. Number one, he says, "Fortune favors the bold." So if there's a message that I hear that you want to get to Ron DeSantis. Fortune favors the bold. And the second thing that Alexander said, that I would not fear an army of lions if they were led by sheep. But I would fear an army of sheep if it's they were led quote. by— favorite it, it's, yeah. it's powerful. Yep. It's so powerful. And America is an army—I mean, it, it is an army of lions. I mean, we want to, we, we want to get out there and smoke And why somebody. hesitate? Let it rip. Nice. Stop solving for perfection. Yep. Go get a couple black eyes. Let's go. Let's brawl. Let, this is a real fight. Yep. This is not a political, diplomatic strategy, bullshit, bullshit fight. I'm on a flight from LA, from Burbank Airport to Vegas, and I'm going to Vegas because I got a business meeting. All of a sudden, I look to my right, a guy named Bill O'Reilly is sitting there. I'm like, shit, what are you doing here? So I'm taking a Burbank flight. Why are you going there? I'm doing the Dennis Miller thing. I don't know if you guys remember yeah, him I and Dennis Miller. Right. Right. They show. had their tour. So, so, yeah. since, since I got time with you, I said, so tell me, what happened here with Romney and Obama? He says, look, we called Romney to come on the show. Because we felt, you know, he needed to come and present himself. And then we also called Obama because we thought Obama was going to lose. And he says, when I called Obama's camp about getting on the show, Obama's camp said the following. He says, Bill, you're wrong. It's done. It's done. Obama's winning. He says, why? He says, because Romney's camp made a massive mistake. What was the mistake? Romney's camp convinced Romney that he had to go win the single woman salad-eating yeah. vote, and he screwed up. Instead of pushing against Benghazi, after the second debate, he was crushing him. Yes. The moment he flipped, he lost. Who the hell is in the ear of this man that could be a president? Go brawl. You're a fighter, Ron. You're not a guy that sits on the sidelines. Let's roll. By the way, this message here will probably eliminate the chance of sitting here, sitting here, because they're definitely not, not going to have him come over here to this podcast. It's going to be like, dude, go to Megan Kelly. Nova, go to PBD Podcast Show. I'm okay with that. If you're going to go out there, go roll. Mm -hmm. This guy's a fighter. He's a tough guy. You see him, the way he handles the media? Every time, like, when somebody says, no, 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 we're not going to do none. Like, that's exactly what we need today. I'm not trying to be winning best friends here i'm not trying to go and say hey can we be best friends i don't need to be best friends with you. you don't need to be best friends with me but damn it let's go see your fight 
because you got it. You know, you bring up a great point because you remember those series of debates between Romney and Obama. The first one was out in Colorado. Absolutely just smoked Obama. Obama was a, a, a blah, 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 blah. And then you're right. Someone got in his ear, and mm-hmm. you know you can't do that. You can't. You got to be presidential. Oh, you don't want to say foot off the gas. Yeah, no he doubt. did. And so by Salad. the time the last debate was right remember. here in South Florida, it was at Lynn University. I remember, and it was foreign policy and national security. And that's when Obama came out and said, you know, Russia is looking for their uh, the Cold War strategy. To, you know, you know, Obama. He just obliterated Romney. Romney did not continue to go on the offense. And you had one of the worst foreign policy national security administrations. I mean, Russia initially went into Ukraine during the Obama administration. They came in Crimea. Took, Crimea. And they took the issue. And, and what did Obama say? He sent blankets and MREs. If he had just stood up and said, you know, when I'm president, I'm not sending blankets and MREs. I'm sending bullets. Because I will not see, you know, the incursion of a dictator into a sovereign country. Do you remember Obama sitting with Putin on an open mic and he leans No, Medvedev. Forward. He was sitting with Medvedev. Medvedev, yes. Yeah. In, in and Japan. He le- and he leans forward and it's an open mic saying, you know, he's apologizing and says, I'll have more flexibility after the election. Absolutely. Tell Vladimir. And it's like, what? What? I thought that was just a... So I want to go to a couple other stories. Yeah. We can talk about this for hours, but I've got two other stories I want to go to. The police shooting that uh, took place, the tragic event, uh, videos were released. I want to get your thoughts as somebody who's a vet, uh, you've been on all sides. What your thoughts are on this? You've you've also been a school teacher, so you know what it is to be a teacher here yep. in Plantation. So if you can play this clip, and by the way, just so everybody knows, YouTube came out and says the graphic Nashville body camera video can stay online despite rules against violent content. So they want people to see this. Mm-hmm. They're okay with it. So YouTube, just so you know, we're following your guide, <laughs> guidelines. Rob, play this clip for everybody. But again, brace for impact. If, you, if you're not good at watching things like this, I suggest you take a break from the clip. But we are going through it right now. If we can get our internet to work, uh, maybe refresh it one more time, Rob. Typically when we do that, this works. And it's decisive. It's not gory. It's decisive. Yeah, yeah it actually makes our... Um, there you go. Go ahead. Uh, there. Hit that stair. Hit the stairs. Go, go stairs, go stairs, go. Go, 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 Push it LPVO. Push it LPVO. Go right. That's it. Move, move. Watch out, watch out. Move. Stop moving. Stop moving. Stop moving. Stop moving. The heavy watch left. Watch left. Suspect down, suspect Disturbing, down. Disturbing, man. Uncomfortable to see, but. Hey, hold the air. First of all, the disturbing video to watch when you see this, but this is, this this becomes realistically a playbook for all the other units yes. nationwide to look at and see. 
are we training to be able to do something like this? So what's your reaction when you see this? Well, I will tell you right now, I've got some dear friends in law enforcement down here, and I was talking with them last night. This is, like you say, it's going all over the nation because this was textbook takedown. 12 minutes from you know them getting an emergency to the neutralizing of, of the threat. And I live in Texas. This is embarrassing for the folks that were in Uvalde because that's what should have happened instead of allowing someone to have free reign. So hats off to those two you know, uh, officers that took control of the situation, did not sit around and wait for anyone to come in and, and say, I'm the commander, and I'm going to tell you what to do. No, you move to the sound of the guns. That's what you're taught in the military, and that's what they should be doing, and that's the training. But here's the real thing that we need to come to understand. We're looking at a question that we better answer real quick. First and foremost, I would say that there's going to be more security and protection at the Final Four this weekend than there are in our schools. So why don't we do what is necessary in protecting our schools? Wow. We got, you know, Army ROTC, Navy mm-hmm. ROTC people that are out there. We got, you know, veterans that would be happy to go out and provide security. The fact that that person was able to shoot out the the entry point, the gun, the uh, the windows, and nobody was there to confront them. At, the, at that point right there, someone should have been there on that campus to do that. So that's the first thing. But gender dysphoria is a mental condition. And this individual suffered from gender dysphoria. And I'm not saying this myself. This is the American Psychiatric Association saying this. We know that this person went to five different gun stores and got seven weapons. Now, each time they went to the gun store, they had to fill out a form 4473, which is your background check form. One of the questions on 4473 asks you about mental illness and depression. And we know that gender dysphoria has two symptoms, depression and anxiety. So a person that is suffering from a mental condition should not be able to go out and get weapons. Now, that's the thing that no one wants to talk. I know Randy Weingarten is talking about taking away my gun mm-hmm. as a legal law, but that, that's not the end. Number one, better security for our schools because that shows where our priorities are. We're, we'll secure a sports venue, but obviously we're not securing our schools. The second thing is we got to get serious about the, these background check forms. In, in Texas, in Sutherland Springs, the reason why that shooting happened, the Air Force forgot to upload that shooter's dishonorable discharge and the fact that he was guilty of a domestic abuse, both questions on the 4473, that would have kept him from being able to get guns. In Uvalde, Texas, the shooter there lived with his grandparents. His grandfather was a felon. Felons are not supposed to, number one, ever be able to possess firearms or be in a residence with firearms. When he put down the address of his grandfather on that 4473 form, the red flag should have popped up. That's where we got issues. Not coming in and taking away your weapons, taking away my weapons and, and disarming me, which is what all totalitarian leftist you know, regimes want to do because then you can impart your will upon people. But we got to do better protecting our kids, and we got to put some teeth behind these, uh, these background check forms. None of this universal background check stuff, but just let's make sure that the, the NIC system uh, is able to do what it's supposed to do. But people that are suffering from a mental condition should not be. And I'll close on this thing. Last week, Friday or Saturday, whatever, the, the transgender community uh, there in Nashville put out a national, they, they wanted a day of vengeance. You can Google it, find it. They wanted a day of vengeance. One of the places that they named was Nashville, Tennessee. Now, the fact that someone asked Merrick Garland, are you going to classify this as a hate crime? He didn't ask questions. Mm-hmm. This is a hate crime. Wow. Trans wow. day of vengeance. 
Right, but because less than a month ago, uh, Tennessee, the government came out and they were the first. They passed they the, first the legislator absolutely exactly. protecting children, saying that we're not going to have these gender mutilation, you know, surgeries or drag queen events in public and puberty blockers and hormonal therapies, you know, for our children. And this is what happens in response. You yeah. call out a day of vengeance? No. So, so you're, you're trying to classify this as a potential hate crime? It's not a potential this? hate crime. There's only one reason why this person was at that school. I mean, they're 28. Why are you going to go in and shoot nine-year-olds? Mm-hmm. So that, and that's not what the media wants to talk about. Yeah. Well, why is there not more security, police officers, military in front of schools? I mean, to me, this is insane. Like we're watching this video. Right. And the whole time I'm watching it, that he's puffing. And I'm thinking this is at an elementary school. Yep. This is what's happening at a school. And my whole thing is, how can we stop this from happening in Denver, again, and again, Denver, and again? In Denver, Colorado, you just had a 17 to 18-year-old just shot two school administrators in Denver, Colorado. This kid was known to be violent. But guess what the school board there in Denver, Colorado had just voted for? Eliminate and removing all school resource officers. And so two school administrators got shot. Right here at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, yeah, right everybody knew about Nicholas Cruz. Nicholas Cruz had 20 to 22 call-outs to his residence. Okay? It was the Obama administration, Arne Duncan, who was the Secretary of Education, Robert Runcie down here. They didn't want to bring up any charges or whatever against black and brown students because they felt that that was racist. <laughs> and, the presence, <clears throat> and the presence of security um, is uh, hurtful to certain groups because you're presupposing guilt. So we're going to pull back. Um, yeah. You know, we have systems out there and we just need to use it. You brought up a couple of good points you, you, and we can debate these last couple of points at length, but one of them is not debate. The systems exist. If I, if I have a drunk driving condition, a drunk driving conviction in Maine and four months later, I go to Texas relocate and go to get a Texas driver's license, they're going to tell me, uh, you're under suspension. You haven't finished out a suspension. We mm-hmm. have a suspension here in Maine. you got two months to go. Here's your government ID card with the red stripe on it. You can get your driver's license when you're done. It says, and if I try to bypass that and I go and present my main driver's license and I try to get a job driving a school bus or a city bus, the systems are all in there to flag it. Same thing for um, same thing for pilots. Mm-hmm. So we have systems out there that work very well state to state that protect us and hold back. So why don't we have it? Why isn't it working well exactly what you're talking about? Excuse me, you're, um, you're, you're buying this firearm, but this, web, this address just came back. This is an ineligible address. Yeah. And it says, why? Well, maybe they won't know that, okay, your uncle's a felon, but you're at an ineligible address, dude. And that's all they're supposed to tell you. Yeah, yeah. You're denied. Yeah, you're denied. That's it. They don't tell you what. You're denied. So all of these things are happening because there's a failure in the system. There's not a failure in, you know, any of us here who go out and do the right things. We follow the laws. Bad people don't follow laws. Did you see the congressman getting emotional yesterday saying, ask them, uh, what Republicans will do. Uh, did you see that yesterday or mm-hmm. no? Okay, mm-hmm. I want to show you this clip if I can find it. Uh, Rob, if you can look for it, this went viral yesterday. Is this the big guy in the tan suit? He, he is coming out and said, ask him, uh, uh, what are they going to do about it? What are they going to do about Ask Republicans about what they're going to do about guns. 
That's what you need to ask them. Um, oh man, it was it it was a very emotional rally cry uh, about guns. I wish I had the clip to show it to you, but it, it, this is an opportunity people are using to blame Republicans to not wanting to do anything about this and not wanting to have a conversation. Obviously, you saw here, you you briefly commented about what Randy Weingarten said about the fact that we need to do, you know, confiscate guns similar to what Australia and New Zealand did, have the courage to do what they did. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, says, you know, tre- treating shooting as only a gun issue is the lazy way out it after is. the Nashville. She's right. And then, you know, uh, Tim Burchett says revival, not Congress, is needed after Nashville school shooting. So there's three different perspectives here, but Democrats are saying this is Republicans' fault. How come you're not doing anything about it? it, it how, what are the likelihood? I asked this question on Tuesday. I'm curious to know what, what your concern is with this. What's the likelihood of they're going to be able to succeed to confiscate guns, not not change, maybe getting stricter background checks and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. How successful do you think they can be to be able to take guns away from them? Well, the, the thing is that it's not about actually confiscating the gun. It's trying to undermine the means by which you can have the weapon. So we're going to go out and tax you for every bullet that's in, you know, a case of bullets. Uh, and we're going to make it so expensive that you have ammunition that you just turn a handgun and just to a, uh, to a hammer. Or we're going to come out all of a sudden. The ATF just recently did this, and we're going to say that you know if you put an accessory on a quote unquote you know semi-automatic pistol, now you have turned into a short barrel rifle. Although the accessory doesn't change anything about the 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 caliber or the capability, or but muzzle now, velocity or muzzle velocity. But now all of a sudden uh, it has to be regulated. And oh by the way, if you don't turn it in and tell us about it, you are now a felon. So that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to criminalize the ownership of, of weapons or they're trying to undermine your ability to effectively use a weapon. Uh, and, and it's the same with these red flag laws. Uh, sounds good. But there were a bunch of red flags on Nicholas Cruz and no one did anything about it. So now red flags can become a political hammer whereby you go after someone and you don't know who accused you. And I believe it was in October uh, 2016, 2017, uh, gentleman in Ferndale, Gary Wood, Gary J. Woods, I believe his name, Ferndale, Maryland. He comes to the to the door early in the morning, like four or five in the morning. Police are banging on the door. What if you banging on my door four or five in the morning? I'm bringing my gun because I don't know who you are. He was shot and killed. The police were there to serve a red flag uh, uh, notice on him. But why are you going to do that at four or five in the morning? And to this day, we don't know who the police officers were that shot uh, uh, Gary. And we furthermore, we don't know who initiated the red flag. But the guys did. Ferndale, Maryland. I uh, forget the county up there. But they will never be able to flat out say we're taking away your guns. First of all, that it's a it's a constitutional right that you have. But they so that's do, not at all something you're concerned about. Uh, I am concerned about them using the the weaponization of the ATF and so certain other agencies to try to undermine your ability and criminalize your ability to have certain firearms. So talking about weaponization, Jim Jordan just came out and demands IRS explain unannounced visit to Matt Taibbi's yes. home. This is a National Review story. Jim Jordan sent a letter to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel, asking for an explanation as to why federal agents were sent to Matt Taibbi's house on the same day he appeared before the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, which was chaired by Jordan. Taibbi informed Jordan that the IRS instructed him to contact the agency four days later, and he was told 
about his 2018 and 2021 tax filings were requested due to concerns over identity theft. Taibi shared his 2018 tax submissions with the select committee, which showed no problems was registered with the tax return for more than four and a half years. Taibi shared a new information revealing Twitter censorship's industrial complex, which showed the social media's platform worked with federal agencies and NGOs to censor or downplay posts they found objectionable. Now, objectionable. How much of this is, is just ironic, coincidental? How much of this we think was intentional? It's totally intentional. Everything that we have happening in this government right now is purposeful and intentional. Uh, that's my big concern is the censorship issue. That's my big concern about going after people and trying to instill that fear and weaponizing federal government agencies. Uh, they can do it better if, if you're disarmed, but why don't you just send an email? I mean, ask a guy about, you know, whatever this identity issue is. Why are you showing up at his house the day that he's in Washington, D.C.? You're sending a message. I mean, that's what the mafia does. Hmm. Okay? That's what gangs do to send a message. That's what the Klan used to do, burning crosses, you know, in the front yard. So this government that we have right now, Patrick, this is the thing that scares me the most. It reminds me of the East German Stasi police, where all of a sudden— if you're a pro-life activist and advocate, you end up in jail. If you're Jane's Revenge that is going out and firebombing you know, pro-life pregnancy centers and attacking churches and vandalizing churches, nothing happens to you. If you're just a person that's walking through the Capitol on January 6th, you're a felon. You're in jail. If you're Antifa that shows up and you shoot at police officers and burn down government buildings and everything, nothing happens to you. As a matter of fact— we're going to raise money to help you to make the bail. So there's a two-tier system of justice that is going on here. And again, it comes back. That's what the left does to its opposition. The left does not want opposition. They want to instill. You talk about fear. They want to instill fear in you that says, if you stand up to us, we're going to get you. 87,000 new IRS agents. What do you think that means? Hmm. There'll be a lot more people coming around and paying visits to folks. And Matt Taibbi is no conservative. He's Matt no Taibbi, MAGA guy no. whatsoever. But He's actually what? more libertarian, actually left-leaning liberal. They made him one now. Yeah, of course. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah you're and, right. and, and by the way, we need more investigative journalists, so shout out to Matt Taibbi for doing the hard work that he does. Let, uh, let's talk about a place that maybe would need to bring Matt Taibbi in to train them. New York Times <laughs> turns on Fauci. Essay slams reaction during COVID. This story just came out. Uh, let me go to a Daily Mail story, page 14. Here we go. So the New York Times published an opinion piece criticizing Dr. Anthony Fauci's approach to information sharing the COVID-19 pandemic. The article primarily focused on Fauci's initial reaction, refutation of the COVID uh, lab leak theory and his association with the British zoolo zoologist, Peter uh, Dayzak, the author Megan Stack, wrote that Fauci and Dayzak could have qualified their statement to expose Americans to more of the full picture regarding the Wuhan Institute of Virology bat virus research, but they did not. Stack also condemned Fauci for initially lying about the effectiveness of masks and frequently moving the goalposts on when it would be safe to lift lockdowns measures. This is like a this is more of a Babylon B story than a yeah. New York Times. Stack argued that Fauci's dishonesty and promotion of disinformation contributed to the problem of censorship and are you in suppression of certain ideas? <laughs> she concluded that attempting to clean up disinformation by suppressing discourse creates its own dangers and can lead to a society where nobody really believes anything. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> so, Alan, thoughts on the story? 
you know, you, we had this thing in, in uh, air assault units called cut sling load. You know what I'm mm-hmm, talking about? Mm-hmm. They just cut sling load on Fauci. Fauci's done. Uh, and, and they're going to distance themselves. And, and, and what is why? cut sling load for That means that you're like, what they did to yeah. Cuomo, they're about to do to Fauci. Yeah, it, you know, you come in with a helicopter and they're you dying. can pick up like a Humvee or anything with the sling yeah. attached to it. Well, when you're ready to drop it, you cut sling load. And that's what they've done. They, Meaning the helicopter cannot carry the helicopter. Yeah, just cut it. it. We're going to Just cut and bait. They're moving on from they're Fauci. Cut and bait. And, but isn't it a little ironic? This is after the fact. He's already retired. He's no, done. No, no, he was no, the no. highest paid employee in the government. They, they, they are getting ready for 2024. Why do you think Governor Gretchen Whitmer all of a sudden comes out and says, you know. Michigan. Yeah. I, you know, I probably went too far. Whoops. Oops. I'm sorry if I ruin your business or I ruin your life. Why? They're getting ready to set themselves up for 2024. They don't want this to be a conversation because they know that the American people have STM, short-term memory. Mm-hmm. And so Fauci's going to get hit with a lot of class action lawsuits. It's coming. And so New York Times and everybody, they're separating themselves. They don't want anybody to come back and say that the New York Times were part of this. They don't want to be part of a lawsuit saying that uh, they promote. So you're basically saying they're putting hit pieces out there saying, hey, we did our part. It might have been three years too late. However... We, we did we, write some hit pieces on we call, Fauci. We call that the Pontius Pilate. <laughs> I'm washing my hands. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm Fauci, I'm, I should be worried because now uh, I'm, I'm being told I'm on my own. Wow. They've, uh, they've cut bait on me. Well, I'm sure a lot of people are sympathizing for this happening to Fauci, uh, as well as uh, the sympathy they have for a World Health Organization, which recently came <laughs> out and said, WHO. World Health Organization says healthy kids and teens don't need COVID vaccinations. I'm telling you. <laughs> the World Health Organization has updated its guidance on COVID-19 vaccines, recommending that healthy children and uh, adolescents may not need to receive the shot. The WHO considers vaccinating healthy young people to be a low priority as a public health impact. This, you are so dark, World Health. It's much lower than that of traditional essential vaccina- vaccines for children like measles, measles and polio. WHO also called for urgent efforts to catch up on routine vaccinations missing during the pandemic and warned of a rise in vaccine-preventable diseases like measles. The CDC reported a high, record high of almost 40 million children missing their measles vaccines in 2021. Misinformation. Why do you think? I wonder why you're missing 40 million. Misinformation linked to COVID vaccines has also led to parents rejecting normal childhood shots despite uh, immunizations being the most effective way to protect children from measles. This is a Daily Mail story. You know, it's funny. It's almost like we played a record and then we stopped and then we start playing a record backwards. Don't change. Because <laughs> WHO was like, uh, we think it's now acceptable for 16-year-olds. Oh, we think it's now acceptable for 12-year-olds. Actually, we think that uh, to the states that will mandate it, if their governors are smart, we can go to 10-year-olds. Remember that? We kept yeah. going down. Uh, we think 8-year-olds would be fine. We kept going down. Now the WHO <laughs> said, no, I don't think any of the 8, 10, 12, 16s, or 18s. It's no. like we're going backwards. They, they don't need it. Remember that? We went down the ages. Mm-hmm. Now we go back up the ages. There's, well, there's truth, no legitimacy truth, here. Truth is, is powerful. And they are now understanding that how they hoodwinked, not just the United States of America, the entire world, is, is coming to fruition. It's coming back against them. And, of course, why would you trust the WHO? I mean, China owns the WHO. You know who this favors? One guy. This only favors one guy. Yeah. It favors the guy that his campaign for 2024 should be, I told you so. Mm-hmm. That's one guy. And he's going to come out one by one. He just needs to have one by one stories. Uh, Russian uh, 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 collusion, number one. Uh, COVID vaccine for kids, number two. 
shutting down number three, school number four. You know, all of these things, he just needs to go one by one by one story. And both him and DeSantis can use the I told you so campaign because DeSantis can say, I told you what I did in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. Trump can do the other side. The left has to apologize. Did you see how (laughs) Biden two days ago said Republicans are the reason behind the fentanyl issue because they're not taking a border seriously? Did you see that? Did did you see that a couple days ago? Who's going to fall for that? To say something like that, I mean, this is the part where you have to be so, you're willing to go to such levels to gaslight people, you're officially thinking the voters are dumb. That's what you think. Well, they they believe in the, and hopefully this won't get you in trouble down here, but the minister of propaganda for the Germans, Goebbels, who said, if you repeat a lie often enough, eventually people will take it for truth. And and that's what they're going to continue to do. Look. You just got to go down to the board and you just got to understand this and look at the numbers. This is all because of one single person, one single administration, purposeful and intentional. The fact that we have close to two million people in the United States of America come across that border, we have no idea where they are. That's scary. And again, coming back to having someone that is strong, all of those folks that got released out of prison uh, in Afghanistan, they want some payback. And the cartels will help anybody get into the United States of America as long as they pay them the money. And something eventually is going to go kaboom in the United States of America because there are people that have come across, they don't mean us good. Last story before we wrap up, Tom. I'm going to go to you with this one. This is an FTX story. FTX founder Sam Bankman Free charged with bribing Chinese officials. This is a Wall Street Journal story. Uh, he has been accused of pro- uh, prosecutors of conspiring to bribe Chinese government officials to rein uh, access to over a billion dollars in frozen cryptocurrency, which violated the U.S. anti-corruption law. Bankman Freed authorized the payment of at least $40 million in cryptocurrency to one or more of Chinese government officials after months of failed attempts to regain control of the accounts, according to the indictment. Bankman, Bankman, Bankman Freed directed Alameda employees to pay the bribe, and he authorized an additional payment of ten, tens of millions of dollars to complete the bribe. Alameda used the unfrozen crypto to fund additional trades as Bankman Freed, uh, Freed's direction. Tom. Is anybody now surprised how all of those Democratic congressmen and senators were dead silent when this guy got arrested and when this thing went down? Do you remember the pictures of him walking across the floor of Congress and Maxine Waters Mm -hmm. standing up on a chair or a little dais there and blowing him kisses? Literally blowing him kisses? If that's not scary enough. Pull that up. I'd love to see that. And and you look at what's going on, and then they were all silent. And this this guy was a a bribery machine. This was a Ponzi scheme that he had already, he knew what was going on, and he was covering himself with donations and bribes. Mm -hmm. I don't know why anybody is surprised. And so why is everybody surprised that the only guy that was interrupted at the microphone was the prosecutor on this? None of the politicians, if you notice how quiet they were, it's because uh, I, 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 I need to be on vacation. All of them simultaneously. And, that, and, and, and that's Maxine Waters when she was the chairperson, chairman of the House Financial Kissing Services Sam Bankman Committee. Kissing Chairman of the House Financial <laughs> Services Committee. That tells you everything. Who was the number one contributor to the Democrat Party after George Soros? 
It was, a, it was FTX, FTX, right? Tells you a lot. <laughs> Sam Bankman Fried. Oh, yeah. Yep. Anyways, great show today. We cover a lot of stories. Alan, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, Pleasure. Appreciate Thanks your service. Allowing Truly. me to come back down here to, to home. And I want everyone to know how special it was to have been a member of Congress representing this district right where you are sitting. Uh, that, that means a lot. And that's a testimony to the exceptionalism of this country, that a kid can come from where I came from and rise up to be a member of the United Born States. Born in a blacks-only hospital, Atlanta, Georgia, 1961. Crazy yeah. where we've come in this country. Since. And think about this. The year that I was born, blacks could not go on Fort Lauderdale Beach. But 50 years later, I'm sworn in as the member of Congress that represents <laughs> Fort Lauderdale Beach. Great country. Wow. They got to love that. That's, awesome. That's a great story. So awesome. what, what projects are you working on? Anything you're working on for the audience? Yeah, I'm the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union, uh, theacru.org. It's a 27-year-old organization. It's kind of meant to be the counterbalance to the ACLU. Uh, a lot of things we're working on, First Amendment, Second Amendment uh, issues, as well as election integrity issues. I have my own podcast, so tune in, guys, to Steadfast and Loyal, if uh, you'd like. And uh, one of the things I just did was a monologue on the uh, the shooting there in Nashville and uh, we just interviewed uh, Sebastian Gorka and also uh, Dinesh D'Souza uh, on Tuesday before I flew down here so uh, that's it. I love it. We're going to put the link to your podcast as well as the website here Rob so the audience can go find it once again thanks for coming out. This was fantastic Thanks, Pat. Appreciate you. Thank you Alan. Yes, sir. Thank you. Take care guys. Bye bye